And I'm glad that you're here today to start out a new week, right? Uh, we're continuing our series that we started last week called Collide. And we kick things off by looking into the biblical principle of standing firm in our faith. And the word or the world attempts to offer us a different set of values. Values that include things that are initially pretty seductive. But ultimately they are inconsistent and we can't stand firm on those things. And just like trying to stand on ice, uh, we're not going to have a firm standing if we're not standing on the Word of God. Amen? Amen? We need the Word of God. So how do we pursue the things of Christ? Uh, we have to allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit into God's truth. And when we do, we will start to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Now, how do we keep that experience going day to day? I believe God desires three things from us as we move forward in life, uh, we, we, after we have laid that foundation. And the first one I want to discuss today, and that is being transformed. Now, I know uh, back in January, this is a big part of our church. You see the big word on the wall, transformation. We believe in spiritual transformation. But as we think about it today, I, I, I got this little toy. Anybody here grow up with these things here? Anybody know what that is? What is it called? It's a transformer. I want you to raise your hand if you had one of these when you were younger. Anybody? Come on. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. You were a kid. Now, I didn't see any girls' hands go up. Did any girl? Did you have one? You had the bumblebee. All right. All right. Well, you know, these little toys became very popular back in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, the toy line and the cartoon series from Hasbro started actually back in 1984. Um, how many of you were not even born in 1984? Raise your hand. Okay, so see, really? Is that right? You were, oh, wow, man. Uh, but they became best-selling toys, of the, some of the best-selling toys of all time. The toys were cool because you could transform from a car or a truck. I think this is sort of like a, a, some kind of a stereo system or something. Um, I actually got that from Trey Stallings. He decided not to come to church since I was going <laughs> to. No, they're out of town. He said if I broke it, it was okay. It was pretty old. Uh, but, but they would transform from sort of this ordinary car to some kind of superhero character. The first animated movie, if any of you remember, came out in 1986, and they created more toys and more movies after that. But maybe more of you are accustomed to the Transformer action movies. Anybody seen any of those Transformer movies? The first one came out in 2007, and it grossed, get this, over $709 million. Uh, I, I got a little clip from one of those movies here we want to show you. Just a brief little clip. <coughs>
That was Bumblebee, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Connie's toy right there. Um, uh, so uh, the, the, this series of movies, again, became huge hits, still very popular today. And the reason these movies were so successful, again, had to do a lot with the idea of transforming. Ordinary cars or trucks transforming into superheroes with these amazing abilities. The point being that once the ordinary vehicles transform, they become extraordinary. And you know what? I believe God desires the same to happen in our lives. Many of us have been tempted to follow the patterns of the world. In, order, in other words, to be ordinary, just like everybody else in the world. We get caught up in sinful behavior that doesn't ultimately fulfill us, but God truly knows what's best for us. And the problem is that there is a competition for our heart, for our mind, for our soul. God isn't the only one who wants to transform us into his image. You see, Satan wants to keep our focus away from God, transform us into the worldly image, the culture's image. He wants us to pursue worldly things. So let's face it, probably 99% of the things that we see and hear every day are not spiritually focused on God-centered things. The culture has our attention more than God has our attention. But don't give up because, uh, because of how hard it is. Uh, don't quit before you start. Don't think that because it's hard or difficult that it's impossible. The truth is that God has made a way through His Spirit to transform us and change us. If you were here again with us in January, you know that we have talked about the importance of spiritual transformation. It's a part of our mission statement as a church. We exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to spiritual transformation in Christ. That's what we want to try to do as a church. That spiritual transformation will enable us to face the culture and remain steady when we collide with that culture. If you choose to follow Jesus, friend, you are on a collision course with the culture. But you can overcome it because the Spirit of God transforms us from the ordinary into the extraordinary to enable us to remain steady when we collide with our culture. It's what the Spirit of God is going to do in us if we willingly follow Him. So when Jesus rescues us from our sin, He begins a process within us that takes each of us from where we were to a life that is secure and centered in Him. It is true that Jesus loves us the way we are, but as I mentioned last month, he, he loves us way too much to leave us that way, right? I mean, because there's things about our life before Jesus that just honestly, it's going to pull us down. It's not going to benefit us. Jesus gave his life so that I could have mine, 
Not just to have a mediocre life. Rather, his desire is that I live a life that is fully in him. And that's the fullest life that a person can live. Aaron Brockett, one of the speakers at the conference we were at earlier in the week, made this statement. And I, I think it's profound, but it's true. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Now that's not saying that God doesn't require us to live a certain way, but the only reason God wants that for us is so that we can attain something for ourselves. If you think about that, it can really transform your thinking. Again, God doesn't warn us about sin because He wants to keep us from having fun. He warns us because He knows where that is going to lead. He doesn't call us to follow Jesus and serve Jesus because He wants to burden us, but because He wants us to experience something extraordinary. The culture leads to ordinary lives, but the Spirit leads to an extraordinary life. And this transformation from the ordinary to the extraordinary, it's not going to be a quick thing. It's not going to be an overnight process. As soon as you walk out of the water of baptism, it's not going to be like, man, I'm perfect and all of that stuff. That's not the way it is. It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes commitment on our part. And the question we have to ask is, am I willing to partake in that kind of life? And today I want you to think about the areas of your life that God desires to transform. I don't know you as well as you know you. I know me, and I know the areas that God wants to transform in my life, at least those that He's made me aware of. And I think if we're not asking that question, we're missing a big part of our life. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that doesn't belong? What is it that does belong? How can I become more and more like Christ? And I think we need to prayerfully consider what needs to happen to allow God to do the work of transforming our lives. <clears throat> so we're going to get into the Word today. <clears throat> I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen behind us. But this is Paul's writing, and, and this is what he has to say. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, within this verse, I believe Paul gives us an equation, okay? Now, how many of you like math? How many of you are pretty good in math? Raise your hand high. I want to see the people I need to call on to help me out with things. Now, math was never my favorite subject, okay? But I think I could figure out a simple equation. One plus one equals three, you know, something like that. I don't know why you're uh, But uh, in this world today, you can say that. It, it, it fits today. But within this verse, again, there's a simple equation. First, there is a subtraction. Then there is an addition, and finally there is an outcome. And I want us to break this down together to find these keys to transformation in our lives. Point one is subtraction means we say no to the world. Now the first thing Paul invites us to do is simply say no 
to the patterns of this world. Now, friends, I'm a firm believer that in everyone's life, there is a cultural influence. Would you agree to that? Would you agree that you've been influenced by the culture? We cannot escape it totally. But if we can recognize that influence and that it is taking us into a worldly or ungodly point of view, we can begin to subtract that from our lives. For instance, if I'm filling my mind with ungodly thoughts, do you know the difference between a godly thought and an ungodly thought? Uh, if, if you don't know, I think the Spirit of God makes it clear. When you're having an ungodly thought, I think there's something inside saying, this is not right. This is not the thoughts I should be having. So when we're having these ungodly thoughts, as, as maybe we're listening to some popular music, maybe I, I need to stop listening to those songs that are putting those thoughts in my head. Is that making any sense to anybody? And it doesn't have to be uh, rap or hip-hop or rock. It could be country, right? It, it, people think country is so, so much, but no, it's not. I mean, it has such as much of bad influence as anything else. If I have a friend whom I seem to be compromising godly values with, then maybe I need to stop hanging around them if I'm not strong enough to hang around them. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Sometimes subtractions can be good for us. We may be better off without the worldly influence. <coughs> Maybe we can write it out like this, and I think we have it up on the screen here. Um, uh, M minus C. Now the M stands for me. And the minus C, the C stands for the culture's influence. Now this is exactly what scripture teaches us to do. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 31, the scripture says, Rid yourselves of all offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Get rid of these things. In Ephesians 4.31, we read, get rid of all what? Keep going. Yeah, my, my voice is struggling. You say it out loud, okay? Let's say it together. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Subtract it. In James 1.21, therefore get rid of all what? Moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So the, the culture is filled with moral filth and evil. The culture says, hey, it's okay to be bitter. It's okay to rage against people you don't like or agree with. Be angry, brawl, slander, do all these things. But God is saying, get rid of these things. The wise counsel of Scripture teaches us that there are things in our lives that we need to get rid of. Another way of saying that is we need to subtract those things from our lives. Now, we've all experienced this, haven't we? I don't think I'm the only one in the room who has struggled at times uh, in my life with the culture's influence. 
When I was younger, I definitely was more interested in happiness than I was in holiness. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? I'm chasing happiness. I'm not chasing holiness. I made choices in my relationships that were a result of that pursuit of finding happiness. I made a lot of mistakes, and those mistakes often trickled down into other areas of my life. Am I the only one here that knows what I'm talking about? I think, I think you all know what I'm talking about. I sure hope I'm not the only Well, maybe that's a bad thing to say. Um, I would chase after the girl more than I would chase after God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or I would seek to please people more than I would seek to please God. Or my enjoyment of sports would overshadow my desire for a relationship with God. So my entire relationship with God was out of rhythm. You could say I had set up these things as idols in my life. Now listen, friends, I still believed in God as I was doing this. I was going to church. I was singing the songs. I was praying. I was doing right things on the outside, but deep down inside, something was missing. Am I the only one here that knows what I'm talking about? I think that we all are together. I was all about seeking the things that pleased me. I was trying to put myself ahead of Jesus. I was wanting to be greater than him in my life. But like John the Baptist said, I must become less and he must become greater. The culture was telling me I should seek happiness. And when I was in that season, I allowed the things of this world to lead me astray, away from God. I was stuck in what you could call a rhythmic cycle and I didn't know how to get out of it. I kept chasing the things of the world, the things the world said would make me happy, but I kept coming up empty. However, I finally concluded that what God needed from me was a willingness to simply say no to those things. I had to recognize that my choice of serving myself or serving the world was actually sin, and it wasn't making my life better, right? I mean, certainly there were times of enjoyment or pleasure, but in the end, there was always a price to pay, and there was always guilt. When I could look back on it, I could see that I had left God out of the equation. He didn't go anywhere. I was the one who had left. I made the choices. <clears throat> God warned me about them, but I didn't listen. So the funny thing is that we do is... When all this happens, when things don't work out to bring us happiness that we thought we were promised, what do we do? We blame God. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why have I got a struggle like this? Why are you letting this happen? And what I had to realize and finally did was that my choices led to those consequences. In your life right now, maybe the first step towards your transformation in Christ is some internal dialogue between you and God and that sinful habit, that sin nature. 
Maybe we need to say, sin, you have been creeping back into my life every time I convince myself you're gone. And even if you continue to present yourself to me as a temptation, I'm going to tell you the answer is no. No, I'm subtracting you out of my life. Many of us may have unhealthy rhythms in our lives right now because we have been, as Paul says, trying to copy the behavior and the customs of our world. All of us, in some form or fashion, are mirroring something, right? Either we mirror the world and its values, or we are mirroring God and His values. So we have received the initial subtraction that must take place. We say no to the culture and its influence. But what do we add in its place? What do we need to say yes to? And this is our point number two. Addition means we say yes to the Spirit. Once you were able to locate those worldly patterns that you've been following, then the space is created for God's transformation to work and to take place in your life. Jesus desires that we live a life that is constantly seeking to grow. And if we don't replace the culture's influence with the Spirit's influence, the culture is going to come back in and destroy us. Jesus talked about this when he said in Matthew 12, 43 through 45, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person, he's not talking about a house, he's talking about a person, is worse than the first. And that is how it will be with this wicked generation. In other words, friends, a person was cleansed but did not replace what was subtracted with godly things. The house swept clean but unoccupied. The house remained susceptible to the influence of the culture or the influence of demonic beings. Its final condition, Jesus said, was worse than the initial condition. When the house was swept clean, it needed to be occupied by God's Spirit. If we don't replace what was subtracted with the influence of the Spirit, we will wind up back in the same dark place and possibly even worse. So here's the equation, the math equation right here. M, standing for me, minus C, the culture's influence, but then plus S, the Spirit's influence. I want you to think about that little equation. If you see something that, that you've been listening to or focusing on as a bad influence and you decide to remove that from your life, you should replace it with something that has positive godly influence. So if you subtract uh, from your life some worldly influencers that you know as you've listened to them, they put your mind into a bad space. Well, when you subtract them out, 
Why don't you replace them with some godly influencers in your life? Maybe if there's some worldly friends that aren't being very positive for you, you need to replace them with some godly friends who will encourage you in your search for God. In Romans 12, you remember, Paul seems to be concerned about how we think. Our thought process is important when it comes to growing in the kingdom of God. Sometimes and oftentimes, the temptations to follow worldly patterns and values begins with a thought. How many of you have experienced this? You're going about your day. Your day is great. And all of a sudden you hear a song. It sends your mind going down a dark path. You see a picture. Your mind goes down a dark path. A video. Your mind goes down. Again, I don't think I'm the only person in here that has... This is a, a humanity thing. So to send our mind into a dark place... It's what we put into our minds that will produce results. So the same is true for the patterns Christ wants for us to live. If we're spending some time in the Word of God, if we're studying it, if we're reading it, we're filling our minds with good things, we will, it will give us the right type of thought processes, help us to respond well when we're confronted by worldly things. We have to replace those unhealthy influences with healthy influences. We need healthy routines, healthy rhythms to enter into. The Bible talks about this concept in Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the seat or in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. What is that telling us? David is a walk and talk and example of the importance of meditating on God's word day and night. God desires that we not just have the word near us, but actually in us, in our minds, in our hearts, through our lives. The work of transformation will only be done when we allow God to do that. And maybe something needs to change in your morning or your evening routines to allow God to transform you from the inside out as you spend more time with God. Because I want to tell you, when we spend more time with God, we're allowing God to influence us. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to God or are we listening to the culture? And by doing this, you have moved worldly distractions out of the way. You could say you have been subtracting them, but you're adding God in. You're allowing God to come in and do that transforming work. Paul closed out Romans 12 too with an outcome once we take these steps towards transformation. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. So friends, when we subtract the world's influence or the influence of the culture and we add the way of the Spirit into our life, point three is the result is that we can discern our eternal purpose. We, we know even though Paul wrote that letter many years ago, it is amazing that God knew what we would know or need to know now. Think about that. There are many here today 
that have spent time searching tirelessly for their purpose in life. You've tried to find it in the things of the world and maybe you couldn't figure it out. You've tried to find it in relationships and haven't been able to figure it out. You've tried to find it in achieving a, a certain social status, maybe a job or money or a material possessions or social media status, and you figured out, man, it, I'm just not fulfilled even when I attain what I thought would bring me happiness. And you've chased the idols and you've discovered they can't bring the happiness you want. And it's because none of those things will equal the results of a spiritually transformed life because the Spirit of God is greater than what you have subtracted out of your life. When we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we gain an eternal and extraordinary purpose. Now let's look at this math equation. Those of you, again, that like math, you know, this, this will be cool, okay? So M stands for me, minus C, which stands for the culture's influence, plus S, which is the Spirit's influence, equals EP, eternal purpose or extraordinary purpose. That means that the quantity or the value of my life minus the culture's influence, but plus the Spirit's influence <coughs> equates into having an even greater purpose than we could have if we didn't do this. Christ is the only one who can give you meaning and purpose in your life that extends, now listen to me, I'm not saying you can't have a purpose without Jesus. But what I'm saying is that he's the only one that can give us a purpose that extends beyond this life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He has called you to great things for His kingdom here on earth. But when you do something for His kingdom, the effects of that will last forever. If you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus spoke about this. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, isn't that what the culture's telling us we should do? So the culture's saying it's all about the treasures. It's all about the things. It's all about the money. But God is saying don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your treasure? God is calling us to treasure things that are beyond what the culture has. So as you serve God, the result of your service is to store up treasures in heaven. When you are serving for the culture's purposes, you receive all the reward then. But when you are serving for the Spirit's purposes, friends, you will receive never-ending blessing. You hear what I'm saying? 
You go work for a company. Nothing wrong with working for a company. Making a living. Nothing wrong with that. You get that money from there and you enjoy that money. You buy your house. You, you buy your cars. You have all this grand time with everything that you've gotten from the culture. And when you die, it will be left behind. It will not go with you. As my friend Jay Banks used to sing, there ain't no U-Haul behind a hearse. We can't take it with us. But if we have taken all of those things that God has blessed us with and we have invested them in the kingdom of God and the eternal purpose of God, friends, it is going to exponentially bring blessings in our life. Here and then. You have giftings and abilities that no one else has for the building up of others and of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we read, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Listen, you've been gifted, but if you're hoarding that gift, if you're saying, oh, this is mine, I'm not going to share it. That gift is only going to be good for now. But if you share that gift, if you use that gift to bless others, if you use that gift to honor God and glorify God, friend, that gift is going to keep on giving forever and ever and ever. And one day when you enter heaven's gates, maybe you will see someone who also is there because of how you used your gifts. I can't imagine a more joyful knowledge to have than to know that I influence someone who has eternity. I wonder how many of us have yet to sense a calling from God because we've allowed our unhealthy rhythms to distract us from relationships with God. We haven't been able to sense God's leading because we haven't been spending time with God. I want to tell you this. The good news is there is still time. I'm hoping that everybody in here still has breath. You hear what I'm saying? I'm hoping that everybody in here still has life. We need to call the ambulance or something if that's not the case. Everybody in here is here because we're still alive. And there is still time to rewire our life, maybe even rewrite our future. The Bible is full of instances where God made it clear that there was still time to give him our lives. Joel 2.12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. I don't care where you've been, God wants you back. All the way back in Joel, the Lord invited us to give him our lives. Run back to God. Repent of, yes, of that worldly culture that you've been, you know, pouring yourself into. But God can take you from that place. Jesus came to this earth for this reason. He was tempted by the same worldly things, but he never sinned. And ultimately, he died on a cross for our sins so that we could be transformed into walking, talking reflections of Him. In other words, not ordinary, but extraordinary. 
Friend, you are not too far gone. You are not out of the game. Christ wants you back. He has a seat for you at his table. It is not too late. And in fact, as long as you have breath in your lungs, it's never too late to come to him, to profess his name, to confess your faith, and to share that faith with other people. I shared a thought on Facebook this week after I had read through John chapter 2 about Jesus' first miracle in Cana of Galilee. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Scripture's amazing because you can read a passage and, and you can get something out of it, but then you come back to that maybe a, a year or two or three late years later um, and things in your life have changed and you can read it. Now, it doesn't mean the exact opposite of what you thought it meant, but there, there's maybe a new insight that comes to you. And that's what happened with me this week. You know the story. Jesus goes to this wedding, and afterwards they're, they're having the celebration, and they're serving wine, and they ran out of wine, which was a total social faux pas, right? I mean, in that culture, you don't, you don't want to run out of wine. It would be totally embarrassing to the hosts. So Jesus' mother saw this, and she says to Jesus, they don't have any more wine. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this hilarious. Moms are great, aren't they? She didn't, say, she didn't tell Jesus what to do. She just said, they've run out of wine. And, and Jesus knew what she wanted him to do. <laughs> um, that makes me think of my own mom. But he told her it wasn't time for him to reveal himself. Did she listen to him? No. She, now, she also didn't say anything else to him, according to the passage. All she said was, they've run out of wine. He says, Mom, it's not time for me to reveal myself. And then she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> I, I love it. And like a good son, he did what his mom wanted him to do. He told them to fill some large stone jars with water. And after they did, he told the servants to go serve the contents to the master of the banquet. And when the man drank the wine, he was stunned. He said, most people serve the best wine first, and then they give you the cheap stuff after you've had some already. But, but, then, uh, but you, he says, have saved the best till now. And as I was reading that, man, it hit me like a lightning bolt. We may have spent a lot of our lives chasing down idols, following the culture. And you know what that got us? It got us empty. Just like those, the wine had run out, sometimes we run out. Sometimes even as we're serving God, we can run out. It's like we've been poured out like, a, like a, the wine, and, and we feel empty, and we run dry, and we don't know what to do. And, and like that story, I just think if we allow Jesus to fill us, the best is yet to come, because he saved the best till now. And for some of you today, you are chasing the world, playing it by its standards, bowing down to man-made idols. 
Maybe you haven't reached rock bottom, but you're in a never-ending cycle and you're not being fulfilled. You will never find the happiness you seek because you're not surrendering to Jesus. Do you want to stop the cycle? Do you want to get off that merry-go-round that never gets you anywhere? Only makes you dizzy and nauseous? For some of you today, that will mean returning to a vibrant faith and relationship that maybe you've allowed to grow cold. You've allowed the distractions of life to collide with your faith and you have felt distance from God for some time but haven't mustered up the energy to do anything about it. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is your day. For some of you here, this will be a, a new step of faith into a relationship that maybe you've heard others talk about or maybe you've seen in other people's lives, but you've never, you've never taken that step to say, I want what you have. I want Jesus in my life. And for you, maybe today is the day of your salvation. Believe me when I say a life of faith is the wildest adventure you'll ever take. And the eternal reward is worth every moment. Believe me, the best is yet to come. Subtract what is pulling you down away from God. Add what will lift you up. And God will give you an eternal and an extraordinary purpose. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for giving us purpose that is beyond what this culture gives us. Thank you for giving us the hope that we can live extraordinary lives. If, if Jesus is in us, if the Spirit of God is leading us, that means that we are extraordinary. We're not like the rest of the world. We have the Spirit of God in us. Help us to put faith in Jesus. Help us to live for that. Help us to exchange what the world wants to do with us for what you want to do with us. Father, for anyone here today that may feel like time is up, that the best of life has passed them by, help them to realize that maybe the best is yet to come. And certainly, Father, we do know the best is yet to come when we enter into the gates of heaven and we hear your words, good and faithful servant. Help us to live for that and help us to invest all the things of this life into that moment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.